Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. I'm Heidi McDonald. I am also co-editor of PW Comics Week as well as the graphic novels review editor for Publishers Weekly and the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. You can follow us on Twitter at PW Comics World. Please do. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer, and you can find us online at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to tu- <laughs> you can subscribe to more to come on iTunes and on social media, in particular Facebook. We're at facebook.com/slash/pwcomicsworld. Okay, let's get right to it. This week on more to come, cluelessness at Angolim. Imagine that. Um, Ten years of graphic novel growth at growth and Diamond's <laughs> latest sales figures. Ariel Johnson, Amalgam Comics and Coffee House. She's the new heroine of the internet. And we're going to take a look at the big two. So let's get right to it. Um, Angolim yeah. <laughs> uh, is in all the news. Um, I mean, literally, if you go nominee- on to the BBC uh, website right now, there it and, is. Well, if you don't know what we're talking about, uh, the list of Grand Prix right. nominations came out. Right. 30 names, all men, no women. What? is going on. Yeah. Well, you know, the Grand Prix, Angoulême, is the uh, number one comics fest in the world, supposedly. Uh, and every Definitely year, in they, Europe. They give Yes, definitely yeah. in Europe. Uh, and they give out a bunch of awards every year, including the Grand Prix, which mm-hmm. is kind of considered the highest yes. honor that mm-hmm. you can possibly have in comics. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a lifetime achievement right. award. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've been giving it out. This is the 43rd Angoulême, so this will be the 43rd Grand Prix. And in those 42 years, it has been uh, given to a woman once to... Um, yes, I'm afraid you know, I... Uh, yes, and now we're all forgetting yeah, her name. Forgetting because because we're the name. Let's, let's face it, was, she's not was that... Was it Sestak she, or... Uh, yeah, Florence Sestak. Florence Sestak. Florence yeah. She's not that well-known here in the United States, mm-hmm. but she's an amazing cartoonist. Uh, and uh, there, Claire Batesche, probably the greatest female cartoonist, one of the all-time great French cartoonists, did get a special award. Mm. Um like an anniversary award and uh and they're like oh that's just the same but and yet you know Joan Svar also won this special anniversary mm. award but he was on the list so i guess you can get both of them huh so huh. But, so but I, I, you know just to to put this in even more perspective like last year there have been two other women on the ballot ever yeah. uh, mm-hmm. Posey Simmons and um and Marjan Satrapi, yeah. of course. Right. So this, and there's been so much controversy. We have talked about it in past yes. more to comes where they're trying to mm-hmm. make this list away from the old boy Franco-Belgian Comics Network, mm-hmm. which is fine. I mean, they're all great oh, cartoonists. Obviously. But it would be as if this award only went to people who drew for Marvel and DC or for, yeah. you know, Image or whatever. It's very clubby. They've been trying to open it up. Last year, Katsuhiro Otomo won finally. the yes. Finally, yes. manga. A, a manga. Yeah. Yes. yes, it was given Another to a manga point. artist. But uh, yesterday, when this list came out, with a lot of people on it, like Brian Bendis sure, and Chris sure. Ware and Frank sure. Miller, but not a woman. And boy, I mean, was there an Not a single woman in this day and age. Yeah. It's just breathtaking. Yeah. yeah. The and, cluelessness. But, but Kate, what, the best part was what the, what the head of the oh. festival I, I don't said. know the exact quote. I think you may. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I will say that the outcry was actually coming from within France. Yes. Um, mm. From women who are in the Franco-Belgian comics community, listing 
perfectly valid people who are even very well known in France and Belgium women who have had long and storied careers and somehow magically are not considered at all. Meanwhile, the organizer said... Yeah, well, the, you know, this came out, and it, the organization you're talking about is called the Bedea Galate. It is an organization of French female cartoonists, mm. and they're very frank. There's a lot of really angry statements on their website about sexism in the French comics industry. I mean, they're really coming out and calling the industry on being very, very biased against female cartoonists. And so, <laughs> when this broke yesterday... Uh, Riyad Satouf, a uh, very well-known yes, cartoonist. Uh, yeah, Arab of the Future, of the future. one future. of our best books He uh, said that he year. was withdrawing his name from consideration over this, and he named a bunch of cartoonists, including like Julie Doucet and Claire Bertesche. Yes, he named some, by the yes, way, named, here's by some the women that should be really on your list. Women. Good for him. And then it, it became a uh, snowball, an avalanche. Um, Daniel Klaus was the next. Oh, and then followed by, list. yeah, it's just like... Chris like, Ware, even, Charles Burns. Etienne Devildu, Christian, Christian, Christoph Blaine. I mean, it goes John on and Smart, on. Smart, even Milo yes. Manara. And yes, even, <laughs> even Milo Man- Manara. Even Manara. Yes, even Manara. The great erotic cartoonist said, yeah. "Enough already." Yeah. And then, so what did the president of the, <laughs> of the festival say? It's unbelievable. What did he say? He said, "Look," and this is a point. He was quoted in Le Monde, and he said, "You know." We can't rewrite comics history. You know, if you go to the Louvre, there aren't any women in there yeah, yeah, either. Yeah, it's as so. And, and he's like, yeah. Oh no, go ahead, Kate. Go ahead. I was going to say, he's totally ignoring the fact that people had been listing these long, long la- names of women who had been very successful in the French and Belgian comic industry for long periods of time, like. And, uh, but he's and, just completely blind to their existence. Like and he has, like, believe me, there's been a long discussion going on in outside of the comics world and in the fine arts world about the misrepresentation I mean, of this, art history. This is not a brand new <laughs> argument. This has been oh. going on for the last fifty years yeah. about how women have been systematically excluded yeah. from the history from of history art. of everything. The history of everything, <laughs> and it's like you know, I, I mean, the they to do, this is like back to the caveman. It's I mean, this argument when it goes back to like the most primitive and crude like sexist, sexist open, arguments of all open, times yeah. open sexism it's like yeah. why do you think women have been excluded from this history yeah. of course there aren't because you wrote them out because you won't put them on the list you yeah. dingbat yeah, they're, they're not in the history books but in the history the what actually yes. happened the they were history, there they were there yeah. and they were kicking it and but, I mean if you yeah. you know I, I wrote this when I uh, discussed it on the beat but I you know I, I grew up reading the orthodox history of comics mm. and uh, we've talked I call it the pap pap trail as do others and you know it's like uh, Hergé was the best and you know then there was um, Tutuf and, mm. and um, um, the guy who uh, Frank Han Fra- excuse me Frank Han and Hergé and mm. you know oh, and then there was Mobius and then there's this and that you know there's like this tra- grand sure. tradition I mean they're great don't get me wrong yeah. they are great and nothing wrong with them and you think oh I guess there never were any women it's so yeah that's yeah. tough and then you know, as as now people are bringing out more books. You're like, I mean, just to name one example, uh, last year, um, NBM brought out *Girl in Dior* by Annie Gensinger, yeah. and I'm like, oh, she's a great artist. You know, she's been around forever. Yeah. She's been around yeah. since the '80s. She has a long history of beautiful books. She draws like a god. I mean, she could be in the Louvre. She's amazing. Yeah. And it's like, oh, but I guess uh, women Plus, have no. There's no history of women in comics. You know, well, what's absurd is about is it, is the 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 his comment so about it's a lifetime achievement award. 
as if I mean you don't have to go back fifty years. You can I mean it, I mean the, m- many of the artists that the, the, the male artists seem to be became in prominence in the last twenty well, to thirty. Years. Well, the guy dug himself. He, yeah. I'm so mad about. I mean, Bendis. Bendis has been I here for twenty know. years. Twenty. So you're going to tell me that there's no women in the last twenty years that have done better books than Mike, Brian Michael Bendis? Come on. I mean, no. I'm sure. No offense. Yeah, to Bendis, no offense. But you Brian Michael all Bendis. they don't even need to be better than him. They just yes, need to be as, as good, good as good as good as but good. Come on. And come even on. Brian would be the first to say he did say it he did he, he, said, he pulled he, out of he, this he also, and you know what one more argument the guy said he said oh you know we took Marjan Satrapi off it because she announced last year she's not doing comics now the last two winners of the Grand Prix were Bill Watterson and Katsuhiro Otomo who don't do comics anymore yes so and certainly Watterson made a, made a point of announcing yes. that he's not doing any more yeah. comics I mean he does a little doodle yes, here he and does there stuff. Yeah, and yeah. I'm sure Marjan Satrapi is going to do a doodle here and there sure. but I mean come on so and 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 uh, so then after the hue and cry after it looked like up to half of the nominees were going to withdraw a statement was put up on the Angoulême festival website that kind of expanded on this whole thing and just the whiniest oh most it's just a child but i think you translated it and it was just well i went on i i went to google translate yeah. and and did although you i think you put you you put up a translation well on your, i, I put up i i just i just read what google yeah. wrote you know and but it's just, I, I did the same thing i just did a google translate and it was just it's just a weird whining about i mean his it's, it's once again it just highlights the cluelessness he has so bought into his male privilege mm-hmm. and yeah. i guess the you know well, it's, it's even deeper in French culture than it is yeah. here. Uh, that you know, because some official history has written women out, then they don't possibly mm-hmm. exist. Yeah. Plus, he has no connection with the contemporary world. I mean, you can go down a list. I sat in my office before we came yeah. in and just started making a list of women over the last twenty years who should be on any kind of list. Yeah. Colleen Duran, Linda Berry, Alison Bechtel, Wendy Penny, Rumiko ah. Takahashi. Um, uh, uh, you Moyoko can't find Ano. One of them? Yeah. I mean, Moyoko. Becky Cloonan for crying out loud. Uh, I mean, uh, Raina I mean, Tuckerman. we're not even. Uh, you know, Julie Dussay. Uh, Je- of you know, course, Carol, Carol Lay. Carol, uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, it, we could just go and. and Japan. I mean, you could. You could and Japan. Japan. Yes, of Japan, there's so many. Moto Hagio. You could yeah. stick to people who both sell well and are prestige, yeah. and you'd still have names. The Rose of Versailles uh, mangaka. Ruth I mean, Kikigeta. she's a class. Yeah. Or, or the, the woman who does Full Metal Alchemist. Yes. yes. One of the most popular comics in the world. And yeah. acclaimed, too. Yes. But Clamp. Yes. Clamp. Clamp. <laughs> Maybe not I mean, Clamp. It no. just <laughs> makes your head explode. It that does. anyone could be so... Clueless. Clueless. Well, you know, it's like, where has he been? Does he not? Re- does he read any comics? No. But let me tell you something. And there's, I, I will, uh, I will. By the time you get this, I'll have another post up. But there's a really good piece by Bart Beatty who speaks fluent French and goes to Angoulême every year. He's kind of talks about it. But you know, there is, uh, there's, there's three elements of this. And you know, Calvin, you're going to Angoulême. Yes, I'm going to go to Angoulême this lucky year. Lucky dog. But, <laughs> but uh, so you're going to be seeing this firsthand. Yeah. But there's three elements of this that that should be taken into account. You know, number one, this entire argument. It does go back to the classic French uh, concept of the ac- the academy. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they are very big on the academy, academic art. You know, the Legion d'honneur, the, all this stuff. I mean, this is a very it's a hierarchical yes. like uh, uh, indicator of what is supposedly yes. the elite culture. Yes, yes, yeah. they they have a very elitist you know as uh, 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 approach to all of this. Um, number two, um, the French love controversy. 
they just love this. They they do. I mean, they they love to argue about this kind of stuff, and it's 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 as meat well. drink and baguettes to them. And there has been so much controversy over the Grand Prix over the last mm-hmm. five years. You know, like the year I was there it was a huge. A huge discussion whether it would be Alan Moore, Otomo, or Bill Watterson uh, who would win the award. You know, two of whom are not a chance in hell. They're going to show up, and you know they've been trying. Like I said, mm-hmm. they've been trying to make this award more inclusive for quite a while, and so they've been making baby steps. And this was a gigantic step backwards. Well, it's been very interesting. Your panel at New York Comic Con, which I thought was fascinating in in the sense of so many, I think views that I had of the French comics market and Angolim mm-hmm. for that matter were sort of shattered by <laughs> uh, the people you had on your panel um, the one of which uh, Penelope Beju yes uh, did Exquisite Corpse. I'm afraid I'm unfortunately forgetting the names of... Um, well, Elisa Chaterier was yes, also there. and Andy and, Morvan. Uh, Morvan, Morvan, and, uh, yeah. Um, a male. But, I mean, but I was amazed how they were all extremely critical uh, of the, um, the French graphic novel market and mm-hmm. thought that there was much more freedom to create and do interesting things and make a living here in America, which was sort of shocking to hear. But also, in a short conversation I had with uh, uh, Penelope Beju in Toronto, Mm -hmm. she was not as crazy about it. And I think it's okay to talk about this because she's been, she's Mm -hmm. pretty critical in public. she's she's pretty honest. That, you know, she says, well, Angolim, you know, it's not the greatest place in the world, not the greatest festival, uh, not what I've always heard. Uh, She much preferred American cons. And one of the reasons she said was like, not only is Angolim dominated by men, she said it's dominated by old men. So, uh, you know, this this seems to give this episode seems to give some indication of just what she was talking about. Right. Well, you'll you'll see. You'll see. Yes, I guess I will. And I'm anxious to see describe it. But but, uh, you know, it's like if you bear in mind, like everyone, uh, you know, in Angulam, listen, it is great. Sure. But whenever you see people coming back, you know, and they're like posting their photos on Facebook, what do they show? They just show them sitting with Art Spiegelman in a cafe drinking. And you know what? That's awesome. That's, That's so much bad. fun. Uh, hey, I would I wouldn't be doing that. What's not to like? You know, what's not to like when you see Charles Burns and Chris Ware and Art Spiegelman yeah. hanging out in a in a beautiful uh, you know, cafe in Angulum drinking wine. I mean, that's <laughs> what you want to do with your life, right? So, uh so I you know, I think what uh and you know they do they do respect the cartoonists. There is a lot of respect for yes. for cartoonists in France. If you're if a man, they're male. If you're a man. If you're a man. Period. The end. Period. Okay. They are way behind us. They're way behind us. Yeah. And this proves it. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we just, our heads literally explode, <laughs> yes. we're going to move on to the next item. Uh, the next item on the list, which is, uh, what is okay, well, you, <clears throat> 10 years of growth uh, in the graphic novel market, and we're going to look at uh, some recent figures. But um, one of the things we did, Heidi and I put together, a kind of a tribute to, well, not a tribute, a survey of the last 10 years in the graphic Marvel market. And look, partly this was done because um, it was an interesting period to start looking back. Um, uh, graphics, Scholastic's uh, graphic novel imprint launched 10 years ago. New York Comic Con launched 10 years ago. Uh, here at Publishers Weekly, we launched our first comics newsletter, PW Comics Week, later Comics World. It's now morphed into you know a module uh, on the uh, PW Daily newsletter, but we w- this was a period that we it, through which the comics market changed dramatically, Absolutely. and book format comics 
um, and books in the and comics in the book trade were also tr- uh, incredible. Went from a two hundred forty five million dollar market to a nine hundred million dollar mm-hmm. market. Yeah. Comics are pervasive in ways that no one could have imagined. And we yes. had a great lineup of people who took our survey and basically answered four questions. One, what was the biggest change they seen in the comics market? Two, what was the biggest change they saw in their specific business? Three, how have graphic novels specifically impacted your business? And the last question was, what is the biggest challenge facing the industry? So go online, publishersweekly.com slash comics. It's called From the Fringes to the Mainstream, 10 Years of Growth in Graphic Novel but Publishing. But why don't we talk a little bit about what's in that article? Yes, and we're going to do that too. I just wanted to give the, the commercial. But yes, <clears throat> Very quickly, let's talk who's on and was doing responding. <clears throat> uh, participating in the survey were Layla Acker, VP of Publishing at Viz Media, Charles Brownstein, the Executive Director of the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, Christopher Butcher, Manager of the of, uh, Toronto Comic Store, The Beguiling, and Co-Founder of the Toronto Comics Arts Festival, Kuo Yu Liang, universally known as Ku, Sales and Marketing uh, uh, VP at Diamond Book Distributors, Terry Nantier, President, publisher, and founder of MBM Publishing and Paper Cuts, the kids' imprint. David Saylor, VP and creative director at Scholastic and the founder uh, and editorial director of graphics. And Eva Volan, supervising children's librarian at the Alameda Free Library in California. Yeah, and I, you know we got a very, I think a very good. Uh, we got great responses. We got a great response, but just a nice little, uh, you know, cross section of different people. Yes, and, and different parts yeah. of the marketplace. And they all said, I mean, there was a certain, you know, consensus. I think. I mean, there wasn't any massive, you, you know. We, I think we did approach a couple of people from Marvel and DC. Just yes, we did. We, we tried to get the big two and, you know, in. But they don't. They, you know, they, don't, they, they didn't, didn't really want to respond. Yeah, they're you know, they responded. We, we, but we did yeah. reach out to them for sure. Uh, and I also reached out to some of the other retailers. Um, but I, nevertheless, I think we got a great cross-section of the market. It really is a great cross-section. And we also got a number of people that who have been in there for this long haul that we're talking about. Right. They, they were in there at the beginning of the 10 years. And looking back now, um, most of them are kind of swept away by the changes. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I believe Koo... You know, Koo's been at Diamond quite a while, but I think he's been there maybe 10, 12 years, something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, easily. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, I, you know, Fun Home came out in 2006. I think that was uh, 10 oh, years yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. You know, that's yeah, there a, you huge, go. a huge, huge, huge change. Uh, that, I think so. we mentioned that uh, graphics launched uh, mm-hmm. in 2005. Yeah. Uh, 10 years later, we're looking at where, where Raina Telgemeier, uh, she's now one of the most famous, she started off with the Babysitter's Club. Right, right. She's now one of the most famous, most popular cartoonists in the world. Uh, Jeff Smith's Bone. I first wrote about Jeff in the early 90s when he was self-publishing Bone in mm-hmm. his own editions and selling hundreds of thousands of copies on his right. own. He went with Scholastic and blew up even bigger, if that's even possible. Um uh, and the list goes on. Um, Layla, who asked about what's the biggest change she's seen, well, she joked to say, well, the growth of the manga market in North America. But, she said, and her answer uh, ties into a lot of what we talk about on this show, the full answer is the expansion in audience reach and content mm-hmm. diversity. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, this is, we've been talking, I mean, I forget how many years we've been doing this podcast. How many years have we been doing this I podcast? I think we, was it 2011 when we started? Something like that? I think that? it was 2012. So yeah. that would put us... Four years. It's a be four years. Our fourth yeah. year. But, yeah. um, you know, I mean, we've talked about this constantly on here. Yes. I mean, it's, it's there are certainly setbacks, but, yes. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that there aren't going to be more setbacks, but we really have, uh, I mean, we, I, you know, I'm running my creator survey on, on the beat mm-hmm. this week, and, and, um, 
Even one person said, you know, I, I don't know what it's going to be. Ten years ago, we wish we'd have more diversity than we have. Ten years ago, we wish we had more books that grow in, in yeah. bookstores than we have. And we have, wish we had more books in libraries than we have. You know, wish we had more shows on TV than we have <laughs> and more movies. You know, the number one TV show is The Walking Dead. The number one uh, Broadway show is Fun Home. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, how can this... I thought Charles Brownstein, in, in relation to your answer, had a great response, too, about what was the biggest change over 10 years. A larger degree of integration within the established entertainment com- economy. Economy. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, for everything from uh, DC and Marvel, at the you know owned by the big studios, to independent properties, comics are now a meaningful aspect of the entertainment business to a degree that was not the case a decade ago and unthinkable two decades ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, I think I really think that it's a combination of two factors that may be part of the engine that got it started. One being the beginning of sort of prestige comics as a thing in the 80s so the people who are old enough to be head librarians and stuff now absolutely uh came of age believing in comics as a meaningful art form and the other half is that the manga boom in the mid to late 90s absolutely that the people who grew up reading that now are steep like myself are mm-hmm. steeped in that visual language and ready to go read mm-hmm. other yes. visual comics even if maybe manga isn't what it was sales wise yeah yeah um it's just a world that we could only imagine yeah and i i think I and think, now it's real but i think kate i think what you just said really has a lot to do with it i mean i think just like the decision makers today grew up reading comics and they're not com- they're not afraid of comics mm-hmm. it's very rare to find someone who is, you know, millennial, who who really doesn't get comics in some way, shape, or form. You know, even my auntie watches The Walking Dead. I don't know. Of course, it's a TV show. It's not a comic. But, you know, she has no problem. She loves it. She talks about it all the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, I will say that the, the oldest fan who I am personally friends with, she's in her 60s, is now, and I mean, she is completely, like, very, very old school in many, many ways. Mm-hmm. Never read comics. Huge Walking Dead fan now owns all the comics. Now owns the comics. There you go. I I just want to mention a a comment by Eva Volan about the library market. And uh, she said, back in 2002, an ALA, that's American Library Association, held its first graphic novel pre conference. She said there were only a handful of comics publishers and almost no mainstream book publishers Mm -hmm. even considered putting out a graphic novel. Now you're hard-pressed to find a major publisher that hasn't managed to insert sequential yep. art in some form or other into its catalog. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, so. guess what? We've seen a lot of missteps as yeah. people figure yeah. out how well, to do I mean, it along the way. Experiments sure. happened. But that's, and, but, but that's but, natural. But they've rebounded from absolutely. those missteps. That's so. how a market economy works. Exactly. You know, you screw exactly. up and then you go back and you figure mm-hmm. out yes. How, yes. how to do it the right way. Yeah. So, yeah, we did it. Yeah. Okay, goodbye. Mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> 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 there. But Diamond. I know they re- they just released some numbers, and I, actually, uh, I yes. have not seen. Well, they just the they did just released their, their like best selling books yes, of the they year. They just released their year end. Uh, so you know, this was the year that um, that uh, the loot crate really made its its feelings. Uh, it made its presence known. Uh, basically, um, the top comic, the top uh, periodical comic of the year, was Star Wars number one, which had okay. over a million copies in print, but it also had a hundred variant covers, yes. and it was in Loot Crate. So, you know, Loot Crate. Uh, if you're not familiar, yeah. you probably are, but you know, there are all these gift boxy things, subscription oh, services. Right. I don't know what the technical term is. Subscription boxes. Subscription boxes. Yes, yes. It's I'm a so new thing. close. It's a new thing. Well, it's been around a couple of years, yeah. but it's really grown 
Uh, and you can make mad money doing it, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, you subscribe to this and you get a gift box. You don't know what's, you know in, what's in it. it. Yes. And you might get a comic book. You might yeah. get a toy. You might get some cocoa. Well, yeah. typically you get a bunch of stuff. <laughs> yes, you get a lot of different things. You and might get remelted chocolate from yes. the Mass Brothers. <laughs> yes. Oh. oh, boy. But that's a whole other... A whole other culture <laughs> issue. Oh, my God. We need to talk Mass Brothers later. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that it started out, oddly enough, in makeup but then yeah. spread out to food quickly and from there into yeah. other kinds of things. There's a, there's a great multi, uh, kind of uh, French cult publisher, Microcosm Publishing. They were doing these subscription boxes a couple of years ago. I mean, they're on the yeah. counterculture side of the, the thing, but excuse me. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I think the concept is that it, it introduces you to things you wouldn't otherwise get, yeah. right. or in the case of Star Wars, where, let's face it, yeah. you did know about it. Um, for people who maybe don't have a comic book store near them and don't shop there regularly but like this kind of thing they just yeah. I think away. people just like getting stuff they I like think they stuff. just like getting cute stuff in their mail and that is what the uh, that is what they excited. but anyway the point is that Loot Crate has become a huge thing it and it has like a, now it has half a million subscribers so that if uh, you got your comic picked up by Loot Crate, you would have half a million extra uh, copies sold. So we see Not this. Bad. We see this in the top ten because uh, it includes Orphan Black uh, or The Bravest Warrior. It includes a bunch of comics that you would not expect to see on here. And it is because they're including Loot Crate. You know, then Star Wars number one is the number one comic. Secret Wars number one, number two, Bravest Warriors, Orphan Black number one, Dark Knight three, The Master Race uh, sold about half a million copies. Not bad. Uh, Star Wars Vader Down number one, Darth Vader number one, Spider Gwen number one, Invincible Iron Man number one, and Princess Leia number one. People liked Star Wars. Now in the book uh, division, the top ten were Saga Volume four, uh-huh. followed by Saga Volume one. Uh, followed by Saga, Volume 5. <laughs> uh, followed by Civil War, uh, The Walking Dead, Volume 23, Batman, The Killing Joke, Special Edition. This uh, book is book the all-time yeah. seller. It, it just sells uh, and then sells. Comes, sells. Now, can you guess what volume of Saga becomes next? Uh, two. two. Two, yes, very good. <laughs> and then Walking Dead, Volume 1, and then... Saga Volume Three, <laughs> Three in case okay. you haven't been paying attention, uh, followed by Star Wars Volume One. All right, well, so uh, I think we know where this list is headed. Yes, it does. <laughs> and um, but but the other thing is that uh, comic sales were up seven point seven percent overall. Oh, now that compares. I went back and looked at last mm-hmm. year's figures, and last year the industry was up about four uh-huh. percent. So it's up seven percent this year. So it seems like more growth. Yeah, I've seen some people questioning whether that's merely variance, um, because as we'll get to in a little while, mm-hmm. there's like some very soft. There's some soft spots in this in this pattern. So, um, a graphic novel sales were up uh, a mere three percent, and periodical sales were up almost nine percent. Now that's almost certainly due to to um, to variance, but um, you know. The numbers are not bad, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. And, uh, okay, Diamond, very important. Diamond shipped over 98 million comic books uh, to comics book specialty stores, an increase of 6 million units over 2014. And they shipped 8 million graphic novels. Okay, all right. Well... And the thing we have to take into account is a lot of... That while the periodicals go almost in exclusively through Diamond... The graphic novels yes. frequently will come they out through men, other distributors men, as well. Multiple, yeah. multiple channels. Yes. So these so. are great numbers, even if they were just coming sure. out from Diamond, yes. and we know for a fact that they're not. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, this category that we love uh, continues to grow, develop, evolve, 
Uh, and I mean, every year we're seeing stuff that at one point we could only have dreamed would happen. Yes, so, absolutely. Our dreams so have come true. It's, and speaking of the evolution of comics, we dig it. Well, <laughs> that, but also there is a new comics retailer on the scene. Heidi? Yeah. Oh, uh, well, oh, you yeah. know, this story kind of took over the internet just the end of the year, but uh, it ran in Philadelphia. But a, a local Philadelphia woman named Ariel Johnson is opening her own comic shop. And, and what's this good called an up and coming uh, neighborhood? Mm-hmm. You know, some people have said it's not a very good neighborhood, but you know what? That's uh, what I call well, up and coming. That's the I and the yes, yes, exactly. And that's so the, she's opened a comic beholder. shop that's also a coffee house uh, with an eye to people coming yeah. and, you know, grabbing a cup of yeah. joe, having a muffin, buying mm-hmm. some comics. And Amalgam Comics and Amalgam Coffee Comics House. Amalgam Comics and Coffee House. And, mm-hmm. you know, she. She is a woman of color, and she's a very open that she wants this to be a diverse store that caters mm. to a diverse crowd. And, you know, I put this story up on the beat and with a picture of her. And, you know, i got to be honest. You know, she's a pistol. I mean, she's, she's like just, awesome. There's also a video <laughs> of her talking, and she's just yes. so articulate and smart she's and fabulous. passionate and wonderful. I mean, you just... You I just, you know, just want to be her friend. I know. Everybody <laughs> wants to be this woman's friend. And uh, it just took over. Everyone wants to go visit this store. So, you know, if every one of my 10,000 likes on this store uh, the story want to go visit the store it would definitely be a success be fine, yeah. but um, you know uh, Philadelphia's losing Locust Moon yeah. and hopefully uh, Amalgam Comics and Coffee House will we'll, be something to we'll step pick it up, up into because this yeah. looks like it's going to be a great place too I mean she on her Facebook page mm-hmm. they've got all kinds of story about rehabbing the space and getting it ready I mean, this is not just a little cubbyhole. No. It's like a pretty big space, and it is a coffee bar as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks fabulous. It does. It does. And you know, this is this is what we're talking about. We're ta- This is what we're talking about. We're talking about you know, uh, women, uh, <laughs> women of color, yeah. uh, with coffee and comics. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, this is the face of comics. And catering to a whole new, a new market new, that I mean, includes the old market, right? But all of the new. Fans, fans well that we've been talking about since this podcast beginning. started <laughs> yeah so take that frank so, frank boulard yeah there, take that for you Angulem, clueless I mean, yeah come on french uh um, yeah you know a hierarchy yeah it's just like you know <laughs> the classic line from uh spinal tap you know we're just becoming more selective about our audience yes there you go. <laughs> exactly <laughs> So we uh, so we like Ariel Johnson. We just and Ariel, if you're listening yes. to this, please answer my email. <laughs> yes, yes, because we'd like to write a story about yes, you. Yes, uh, for Publishers Weekly. So um, yeah. Anyway, uh, a refreshing uh, yes. beginning to the new year. Yeah, you know, definitely. Uh, so. Yeah, but there are some cracks. There are still some things that uh, so, <laughs> so the world so, is never perfect. The world is never perfect, and you know, interestingly. The weakest link right now seems to be the oldest link uh, with Marvel and DC, DC, especially DC. Now, we've talked about this many times. Mm -hmm. Uh, DC is not, you know, it's got problems. Ever since they moved and started their new uh, line of comics, it it did not launch very well. And they've been scrambling. I mean, they lost three points of market share or year over year. Uh, You know, the number of uh, publishers... Uh, the publisher list last year, Marvel was number one, but 38% of the market uh, dollars, 41% of units. Mm-hmm. Uh, DC mm-hmm. had only 27% of units. So that's a pretty big, yeah, that's pretty, pretty big uh, gulf. Separation. And that's a big separation. Like <laughs> that's, uh, DC is, is the, the gap grew by uh, four points uh, for year mm-hmm. over year. So they're losing market share. They're definitely losing market share. And, um, but they've come up with an idea to gain market share, and it's what Marvel's been doing for a long time, which is double ship, <laughs> which means the comics, like the most popular comics, such as Batman, Superman, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, the Flash, Arrow. I mean, I don't even know what their popular comics are. Harley Quinn? Well, I assume it's Batman, Batman Superman. Uh, Justice and Harley, League yeah. are probably going to come out uh, twice a month. So, Kate, you had some thoughts about this. Well, my thoughts about that are that if it comes out... Well, for one thing, Marvel may try to have them come out twice a month, but it usually comes out like once a week because I think the... Um, Double shipping contributes to their scheduling problems, frankly, because when you double ship, you ask for a lot more work out of your artists, and that can be really hard for people to keep up with. Um, and also, comic store owners are not thrilled with you know having to stock more stock and having mm. to turn over more quickly. But, you know, I mean, frankly, it seems to me like if you want to get more money out of Batman, you'd be better off you know putting out more original graphic novels or, or having... Well, that may be part of this, the equation here, too. I well, mean, no, but I'm saying... Are there more... Um, go on, excuse me, go on. I, what I'm saying is that, like, if you... To put your, your energy into a theoretically separate product that also has the characters. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that, therefore, people who come in monthly or who have a monthly subscription or, you know, comic shops that just don't want to have to stock two books a month, not to mention your poor creators of your book, mm-hmm. can keep up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, are, are more people waiting for the graphic novel? For the book collection? More are. But partly, a lot of time, people do that because they're like, did I miss the issue? Did I miss an issue? <laughs> I did miss an issue. Sure. You know, and eventually you get sick of that. Sure. And you just sure. go, oh, I'm I mean, waiting for the trade. I, I, you know, I, I'm just wondering. I mean, I, I mean we, you know, we, it looks like we're not going to do our retail update this year. Mm-hmm. I think maybe we'll take a year off on that. But in in our previous um, retailer um, features, I mean, what I recall is them saying that there's too much product. Yeah, that mm-hmm. they you know they can't get people to buy more stuff. Well, but you're look, gonna, you know what? Listen, you can put ship? out a lot of cereal, but if you put out a flavor that people don't like, uh, you're not going to sell a lot of cereal. Well, but yeah, but or alternately, if you put out a flavor of cereal that people like, there's only so much cereal someone's going to eat. Yes, you can. You can make as many boxes of the best cereal in the world, and if you've only got X number of customers, they're still only yeah. going to eat cereal once a day. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and well, now some to, people eat it for dinner. That's true. Well, that's and true. in fairness but, to, the, to these two big publishers, they're also serving this market that I think is going to be one of the most demanding consumers ever. They demand something new and exciting and different, but that it never changes. Right. It is. It's sort oh. of impossible. <laughs> well, I, I mean, mean, I'm exa- I'm oh, I'm overgeneralizing to make a point I, here. I think, but the core of that is not f- fault. People, you know, they want stuff to stay the well, same. Well, yeah. I mean, I think at core, what what people want is is something that's a little hard to deliver, but not completely unreasonable no. because this is what the comic industry has gotten people to expect, has well, gotten people to want this because is this is what you get. And if you don't get this, then the, the, you're not reading <laughs> you're Marvel not and it. DC because you'd be unhappy. Well, um, that you typically. The ideal is that you have characters who you know as if you know as if they were someone you knew, and that their personality remains constant, whatever else changes. Mm. And so then, when some other writer is like, "I'm taking this in in a new direction and going to write this character completely differently as a person," then people who feel like they've gotten to know this character yeah. are like, "What just happened? I don't understand." Yeah. Well, and relaunch, then they get squabbled. Is, are we other. facing relaunch fatigue? Um, well, I think. 
have have we seen well, so many relaunches well, in the last well, let five me years? Jump in here and just point out that you know while Marvel sales do remain strong, and yeah. you know a lot of people uh, retailers are beginning to get a little fed up with the renumbering, the constant renumbering. Yeah, I mean they just they put, out, they put out five issues of a of a series, and then they say, "Well, we're going to doing a whole new relaunch, yeah. and it's, here's a new number one five issues later." And it's just like they're kind of making mini series out of their series, and it's getting instead a, of just admitting their mini series, yes, and it's getting a little bit tiring. And getting a little bit, you know, uh, confusing. And retailers, yeah. uh, you know, they're the ones. I mean, this is, uh, you, you know, it's too bad we're not doing the survey because I think this is the most interesting time to be doing the mm-hmm. survey. You know, well, I'm, I'm looking well, at. Well, we can revisit that. I, I'm, Let's, I'm we, looking, we should talk some more I'm off there. I'm <laughs> looking at my, my uh, creator survey and Rick Lowell of Casablanca Comics. Uh, he writes, what was the biggest story in comics in 2015? DC Comics is an ongoing story, including their move to the West Coast, the retirement of Bob Wayne, and the numerous editorial missteps of the past 12 months will be the biggest story in 2016. I expect to see some major adjustments at the top periodical publishers, including line reductions and staff reductions. Although I feel the market is strong, the top publishers are bloated with their excessive title output. And... You know, this is if this is mm-hmm. what retailers are feeling. I mean, you know, this is this is. I mean, I don't. Somebody said something so interesting to me the other day. It was um, that re- retailers are ordering books not based on oh my god, it's a new book by Brian Azzarello or a new book mm-hmm. by Gail Simone. It's uh, they just base books on what they like reading, and it could be Unbreakable Squirrel Girl, you know, or yeah. Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, or it could be. Speaking well, of. Of every renumbering and Squirrel Girl, mm-hmm. um, the cover of a recent issue of Squirrel Girl said, "Only the second number one this year." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Listen, Marvel, Marvel. Let me tell you, Marvel is sitting there and listening to all these complaints and saying, "Bite me, fanboy," because they remain number one, and it works. You know, this but, is ne- Marvel's. But aren't their relaunches having some? But their but too? their relaunch is not is not. It used to be that you said relaunch mm-hmm. and that the numbers would spike, but they're not spiking the way they used to anymore. But what I'm, but what you know, yes. And on the beat, Todd Allen recently wrote a story that pointed out that the that the the numbers of, for the number twos of Marvel's relaunch were very low. Like they quickly went back to the level, or even below the level that the book had yeah. been at before. Yeah. But you know what? It doesn't matter because that number one made three times what the per- the the, the mm. number six issue would have. So you know, as long as Marvel's making money doing this, they're going to keep doing it. And guess what? They're still making money at it. Yeah. So I we know, can but the am- well, but I think the point want. is that the amount of money they're making is going down on this phenomenon, and it may eventually no long I mean it seems like it's going in the direction of no longer being financially useful well I've I've talked about this several times the podcast and uh, Rick Lowell and his answer touched on it as well you know it used to be that uh, Marvel had David Gabriel their VP of sales and marketing and um, DC had Bob Wayne their their executive VP of sales and marketing and retailers love Bob Wayne. I've said this so many times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They cheer. They love. They, they, you know, they would carry this man on a litter if they could. Uh, perhaps they have. <laughs> I think maybe it's happened. I at think some you're point. right. I think we just weren't there. And you in know, a Bob. Tog- he was in yes, a toga. And Bob knew how to talk to retailers. You know, he would say, "This is what," re-, and he knew what retailers liked. He knew their their loves, their hates, their joys, their fears. Um, you know, and retailers <laughs> loved to hate Marvel and David Gabriel. And well, you know, we have sure. a long series of, of comments by David Gabriel that come off as kind of, you know, harsh and callous. Now, Bob Wayne is retired. Uh, DC has a whole bunch of new people who do not have his charm and charisma. 
uh, now I find people are like saying about how they love David Gabriel. You know, how he gets them. He gets them. <laughs> and you know what he does? David is a very smart executive. Yeah. And he knows. He knows. And maybe he knows, he's mellowed a little with age. He's mellowed a little bit, but he knows what they love and he knows what they hate. Yeah. You know? Well, well, uh, the uh, the ongoing paradox and mystery of the big two. I, I don't claim to have any insights into the uh, direct market. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a longtime comics fan. I'm much more drifted over to the book side. Obviously, that's where I really do. But I remain fascinated by the comic shop market. It is the uh, primal ooze from which I emerge. <laughs> um, you know, so I'm I'm always curious about you know like how how this model continues to function in the modern world because I I personally, no offense to any. But I do feel it's weirdly, it's time has passed. That doesn't mean that, you know, there aren't great, there isn't great work, that retailers aren't fabulous and incredible. Um, because you could say that about the regular book world. But, um, you know, the, the direct market is just, it's just different. It is very different. <laughs> it's just and, different. And, and I agree. I don't think it's going back. It's never going to be the big two all, all the way all the, again it's, well, you know, it's it shouldn't be no and it's North no, no, no and, and it can't be that way I mean that's what our survey was showing that more and more companies like Image mm-hmm. are making a dent on the newest fans yeah, yeah. now um, uh, but I mean I will say that with things like this that frequently I find that my reaction in the comic shop I guess my id must be close to that of many a other comic fan of the weekly variety that the stuff that starts me going, uh, I start hearing about like six months later as like the new trend and this isn't selling anymore right. or sales are going down. Um, no, you've got your finger on the pulse. Yes, I, right, I yeah. start yeah. saying yeah. you're an integral good part of this team. Yes, exactly. No, you have a, you yeah, have a you critical more about it than I do. I'm uh, out of it. You know, I'm. Uh, I mean, not so much even just what ways. I'm hearing, but just like, you know, like for example, there w- remember that. Halicon period, oh, not really. It was terrible. When they had 40 million Thor books and you could never keep track of which one was the good one. Um, That was not a great time. Um, And so anything that's similar to that, yeah, guys, like your products, you have to be able to tell them apart. Yeah. And I think that that's part of the problem with the most recent relaunch is that the relaunch happened and some relaunches in the past, like you knew what the change was. Like you're like, okay. So the difference is it's going in this specific different direction. You look at the new comic, you get why it's new. This latest relaunch, you just kind of go, that is a relaunch? I don't know. And well, get on was, with your life. You know, I mean, there's, I've heard, uh, I'm sure all of us have heard some, you know, tales of turmoil. And just this week, there was an issue that came out from DC where they said uh, that a character was talking Pakistani. Oh, yeah. We have to, re- we have yeah. to remark on and that. that and, us. And pa- uh, let me just repeat, because we were laughing so hard, that it says, oh, he's speaking, everything is translated from the Pakistanian. And um, <laughs> now, you know, that's the sort of thing that you have a copy editor that's supposed well, to actually read See, it. I'm not exactly sure what was going on. Was it set in actual Pakistan, or were they... Making up some fake country whose name was way no, too no, close no. to it Pakistan. Was sad, you know, I, I have to admit, I wasn't reading a comic. I was reading random uh, darts being thrown at DC on the internet. But uh, my understanding of it that, uh, and if, if I'm wrong, 
please send me an email. But uh, that it was set in, in the actual, Middle East and in Pakistan. Actual Pakistan. And it was some oh, Middle Eastern geez. conflict going on. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, they, they were using chevrons to indicate a foreign language or yeah. or they're speaking in English and these people are yeah. speaking. Okay. Okay. And in the well, editor's note was this was translated from the Pakistanian. Oh, yeah. good Lord. Knowing, see, of course, there is no such language yeah. no uh, obviously pa- in case anyone out there is wondering it's called pakistani okay and that's actually the that is the adjective form of pakistan uh, of pakistan yeah. however i don't that's not that's what the language, the language is called, is called. Uh, yeah. i believe that no well first of all there are, there are many languages and many dialects yes. spoken uh including english yes, uh, yes so that's true. <laughs> so um, uh, among and there them. is well, no I'm not gonna start Pakistanian no, language. No such but thing. anyway, I bring that up. It's I no mean, look, anyone thing. can make a mistake, but that's a pretty wha- that's a whopper. I mean, listen, I made so many mistakes myself too. Yes, me but, too. But uh, you know, that's why at a editorial staff you have a system of checks and balances, and you know, that's just another sign. I think there's a lot of listen. I love everyone at DC. Yeah, yeah. Except yeah. for one or two people, and you know who you are, and. Um, <laughs> There, uh, you, you know, listen, they're under and, a lot of pressure there. Yes. And, and it's like, never yeah. going to go back. And just you said, I'm back. sure somebody can go back over our podcast and find some whoppers as well. Yes. But, uh, you know, but you know, that's what whoppers are for. Give people a chuckle and then we'll move on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, just, it is in a, in a little box that says, translated yeah. from the Pakistanian, dot, dot, editor. So that <laughs> so, makes it even worse. Worse. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. So, look, um, just quickly, I think we should also mention uh, the results of the 10th annual um, oh, yes, PW our, Graphic, our, graphic our Novel Critics Poll. Critics Poll. This is you another wanna, thing that we've been doing uh, yeah. as long as there you was a PW take it Comics away? Week world. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, this is one by the sculptor by Scott McCloud. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, it was uh, dead. We had. Um, Killing and Dying by Adrian Tomine yeah. and oh Calvin's called got, it up on his on, his, po- on mm-hmm. his iPad for me because he didn't think yeah. I could remember it so and then well, you have I, Super I <laughs> Super Mutant Magic Academy by Jillian Tamaki and uh, but you can check out the whole yeah. critics poll uh, those are the top three books but go yeah. check out the but whole you, thing and to find a lot of uh, Heidi brings together there. 10 um, critics reviewers me yeah. uh, and uh, she mixes and matches and has a magical formula and comes up with the end but um uh, and yeah, it's then, called a list that I count. Uh, yes, but exactly. I, yeah, so and uh, and also, actually, what this does, our other choices, kind of give you a kind of a look back over the entire year of really some of the best books that were published. So, yes, it's a it's a nice wide. Yeah. We have a lot of different opinions, and there's a nice wide range of them on this list. So you'll find a lot of selections. So yeah, definitely ch- so uh, worth checking so, out. Hey, Calvin. Speaking of trends of the past year mm-hmm. and uh, graphic books. Um, DC appears to be jumping on a uh, 2015 bandwagon after 2015 was over by doing adult coloring book alternate colors. <laughs> this is true. So, so Calvin, this you said true. that you uh, had some numbers for us on the uh, size of the well, adult coloring book trend. Well, it's just an unbelievable phenomenon that sort of started... I mean, look, certain publishers like Dover uh, Publications has published sort of coloring books of one kind or another, art books um, that you can, you know, that you can do, that you could color in and and actually frame. In fact, they do a better job because they do a lot of one-sided printing on good paper so that you can actually color it and frame it. Yeah. Um, They've been doing this since the 70s. Um, But in 2013, it took off this woman, Joanna um, Basford in Britain, published a book called Secret Gardens. She does these intricate 
design patterns. And um, there's about a million copies in print. She's also published a book called Enchanted Forest, which sold 350,000 copies this year. All, all overall, um, Dover has a whole imprint called Creative Haven that has more than 120 titles. They've sold over a million copies. Uh, no, they have 120 titles. They've sold more than 1.8 million copies over the last, this is in the last two, three years, $10 million in sales. I mean, it's just, if you go on the bestseller list, there are like, it's dotted with oh, uh, adult if you go, coloring if you books. Go, yeah, if you go on Amazon.com and look at yes. their bestsellers, you will see. I mean, I was ch- I checked that out at the beginning it's, of the year just to see what was selling. I, and it's, it's, it's insane. Publishers I, can't get time on the presses because yeah. they're backed up public printing adult coloring books. Well, I wonder how many people are going back and coloring in their manga now. <laughs> maybe uh. that's where it's... <laughs> and maybe that's what, they'll, that's what they'll start doing, just sort of moving the press and, and putting them out as uh, coloring books instead of a. Well, I mean, you wouldn't manga. even need to. I mean, yeah, because they're no, already yes, in black yeah. and white. With you, know, exactly. you know what? I'm looking at the Amazon bestseller list right now. First is uh, The Life Today uh, Magic of Tidying Up, a book that I need yes. to read yeah, that's and memorize. A, that's another Number phenomenon. two, adult coloring books. Uh, like, there is a whole, a whole crap load of them no, on it's, there. No, it's insane uh, numbers. Yeah. Insane numbers. Uh, and Star Wars. And it continues. Yeah. And yeah. it continues. Yeah. So, uh, do we have a reason why adults like coloring? I don't know. I well, have no I, reasons the, to give. Apparently, <laughs> they are okay. part of therapy. Uh, okay. Some therapy. Uh, I have uh, I have imprints. heard number of pieces on this on NPR. Oh yes, mm-hmm. and um, it seems like the real reason is that people loved coloring books as kids and never actually stopped loving coloring. Apparently. They just started being embarrassed so by it's, it. So it's kind of like a marshmallow peep kind of a thing. It's well, I mean, it's one of those things that you... It's sort of like comics. I mean, I, you know, I think it's, you, you, know, you yeah. used to read them and some kids would grow up and you know, they were ashamed of them, not among us, obviously. Yeah. But now you don't have to be ashamed anymore. Yeah, I think it's... Yeah, it's one of those things that now suddenly it's okay to it's like okay. so people who like it. And, and yeah. you know, the thing is a lot of people say it's very soothing. Yeah, that uh, yeah. that coloring is something that you can do that yeah. to relax, yeah. to turn your brain off. That's kind of fun, and so you can do it while you talk <laughs> or whatever. Well, clearly, there's not a whole lot of yeah, brain for me, that's going called, on. That's called candy crush soda. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. whatever floats your boat. But you know what? That's right. People anyway. love it. They're selling, them, and publishers are like making money. Yeah. And uh, now for the briefs. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, Gene Yang. Uh, the creator of Boxers and Saints and many, many... American-born Chinese. Chinese. by Chinese. Two-time National Book Award nominee. I mean, it's Creator uh, of many comics. Yes. Uh, is the new national ambassador for young people's literature, uh, which is... You've never heard of it, but it's a very prestigious <laughs> award. It is a very prestigious pr- position. position. Yes. Uh, from the Library of Congress... And this is not just for comics. This is for, you know, for any mm-hmm. young person's literature. The previous winner was Newbery Award winner Katie Camilo. And um, so they'll be mem- a member of a seven-member committee of educators, librarians, and booksellers to talk to the Library of Congress about 
children's literature and sort of serve as a an ambassador. He, he'll ambassador. be traveling all over the country actually talking about yeah. about children's literature. But it's also the award is also sponsored by the Children's Book Council as well as the Library of Congress and Every Child a Reader, which is another pro reading stuff. And they're giving a speech on January seventh. At the Library of Congress, you know, you wow. say you it's say a no, two-year term. Nobody had heard of this uh, position before, but this sure got a lot of press when he was. Yeah, uh, well, uh, it's appointed. it's well known in the publishing okay. industry. I mean, it's a big deal. It's huge in children's publishing because yeah. I mean, really, this is it's relatively new. Yeah, yeah he's, it's relatively he's only new. the third. Yeah, he's only third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, so it's yes, not. Yes. Yeah. So you know, but it, yeah, it's not super well. He's known. one of three, but you know, yeah. anyway, yeah. <laughs> but it's a big deal. Yeah, it's, it's a, a it's big deal. Big deal. Okay, and we have more briefs. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg has announced <laughs> that his New Year's resolution is, I kid you not, to have a household AI like Jarvis. You mean he's going to turn into an evil robot that will try to destroy the world? Well, don't, don't get me started on how no, it's not No, he's going to turn into Tony Stark. <laughs> um, but yes, so you'll see whether an AI butler is coming to a home near you anytime soon. Should be well, interesting. Hey, but you I know, the, put it past no, him. but you know, a <laughs> lot, a lot of of technological advances have come by people being inspired by what they see in science fiction Absolutely. and comics. Absolutely. So you know, this is Absolutely. This well, makes sense. as he's put, as he said himself on his Facebook page, you know, I said I was going to learn Mandarin China, and then the next thing you know, I'm reading that he's like in China talking in. Mandarin. Mandarin and telling jokes in Mandarin, you dig? So yeah. I wouldn't put it past this guy to do whatever no. he says he's going to do. Okay. Uh, and one more thing. So the Japanese diet put forth not only a resolution, but an urgent resolution, urgent, that there must be a national manga, anime, and video game museum to preserve and promote Japanese cop culture. And this is the main legislative this body is, this of is the, the Japanese of, government. Yes, this mm-hmm. is the equivalent of, of Congress. Of Congress. Yeah. And so it's, it's as if Congress was like, oh my God, we need a comic book museum. Yes. <laughs> that is, yes. That's what this is, basically. That we can imagine that ever happening. Yeah, right. But, but, no, uh, but this tells us something about Japan. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's an attempt to resurrect a plan scrapped in 2009. Um, for a uh, manga national center. Um, but there actually have been uh, some preparations made. Uh, Tokyo's Meiji University has this huge like warehouse room filled with anime and manga artifacts just ready for a museum to put them in. And, um, you know, the Japanese economy is not doing its best right now. And they've become aware that a huge part of their cultural soft power throughout the world mm. is their rich visual tradition. J-pop comics, baby. Yeah, and that it does deserve a national museum. So we'll see where that goes. Yes, yeah, you know. Godspeed, a Japanese diet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go do it. Well, um, well, that's well, it for this think, first yeah. uh, first for, week of 2016. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a full slate, but I guess there'll be... More to come.